This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And uh, before we get into today's topic, just a reminder, we, I, I usually try to mention this. Father often reminds me if I forget, but he's not going to be able to do that today because I've remembered. Um, <laughs> contact information for the, for the show to reach me if there's anything that you, um, you have questions about, anything that we've said in past episodes, any ideas for future episodes. We, we love listener feedback. So email me, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. That's C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L at sfcatholic.org. Father, happy July. Thank you. Happy July to you too. Thank you. I, uh, I guess I, maybe, did we, did we record an episode at the beginning of July? I don't know. I, it's been a long time. It's been a long month. We did, didn't we? Did we? July 3rd, we talked about independence, freedom. There we go. So we, um, if if you if you follow the the show or the podcast format um, of, of of ignition, um, we we didn't record an episode last week. So it's been a couple weeks, and in between that time, Father, um, I went on a family vacation, and as always, I'm more tired coming back from it than I was when I left. You need a vacation from your vacation once again. So what are you going to do? Um, having said that, Father, uh, what are you up to? I'm back down in Broomtree doing more retreat work. Uh, more retreat Same work. thing I do every summer. Every <laughs> Very good. Well, how about we just dive right into today's topic? Does that sound good to you? No more mindless chatter, banter? Less banter, more work. More less banter, more work. So uh, since we met, just a couple of days a- uh, since we talked, rather last, um, a couple of days after we talked, July fifth, we we had the public release of the first encyclical of Pope Francis. Uh, the the name, the Latin title of the encyclical is Lumen Fide, which is Latin for Light of Faith, the Light of Faith. So this is the again his first encyclical. An encyclical letter. What is an encyclical letter, Father? a letter to uh, the bishops, uh, the church, and the world. Usually on some topic that the Pope feels is uh, an important uh, topic, one uh, need to be addressed uh, by the church or for the church to be informed on in order to uh, continue to engage and sanctify the world. So, as you said, an important topic. and, and, and this, is, this is one of the higher levels. An encyclical letter um, is one form of papal teaching. There are apostolic letters, apostolic exhortations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is one of the higher levels of doctrinal statements from the popes. Um, you know, for, for I think you and I, of course, having, having um, grew, come of age, so to speak, during the pontificate of, of, of uh, blessed, soon to be St. John Paul II, um, he issued several encyclicals, but... 20-ish, maybe over 20? More than several. More than, yeah, lots. Uh, but he had a long pontificate uh, in which to do that. Benedict, a uh, shorter pontificate, of course. Um, Benedict came out with three encyclicals. And now Francis, obviously we don't know how long his pontificate will be, praise God, many years, uh, but this is his first. And this is oftentimes, Father, the first encyclical 
people look to it as sort of okay, where where is he going to go with this? Uh, to some degree, I, I I don't know if we can really say that in terms of the encyclical charting a course for for the the teaching of this particular pope. There's with the last two, however, last two uh, pontificates, I think um, there, there's some truth to that, but maybe not as much as in the past because in both cases we've had an instance where uh, the, the the encyclical, the first encyclical of of, of each pope, Benedict XVI and and now Francis was actually started by his predecessor, uh, which is uh, something that that people have commented on on numerous occasions um, uh, with re- the release, the pending, and now the release of Lumen Fide. Uh, but it was also true again with with Benedict's first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est. And you and I talked that a little bit a little bit about this uh, be- before we started recording. Um, what does that matter, Father? I don't think it matters too much. You know, I think um, maybe some people might find a little emotional. Uh, I, I, actually, I mean, I, I find a little emotional uh, uh, satisfaction in it just because I love Pope Benedict, and Pope Benedict is very important to me in my own discernment. But in, like, the larger scheme of things, as far as the church in the world, uh, it, it doesn't matter too much because at the end of the day, Pope Francis is the one who will fix his signature, and his signature is as in the office of the Bishop of Rome and uh, in the See of Peter, and so it's it's official, uh, we'd say magisterial document, uh, a teaching document of the Church from teachers teaching authority with all its weight, and so it, it, it doesn't matter who read what or wrote what or in that sense in the long light. Right, and Francis refers to, I mean, he talks about that explicitly in the introduction that this was a an encyclical, encyclical that was initially drafted by or started by Benedict, but that he's he's releasing it. So it's 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 his encyclical, even though uh, Pope Benedict was was involved, so to speak. He started writing it. It's coming out under Francis's name, and to some degree. Even that, you know, we, we could get caught up in well, which parts are Benedict, which parts are Francis's. Um, as you said, it, it, the fact of the matter is it's coming out, it's signed by Francis. And even that to some degree doesn't matter because the fact of the matter is it's a document from the Bishop of Rome, from the Pope. Right. Which Pope to some degree, that even that doesn't matter in a sense. Well, and Pope Francis even kind of puts this down at the, uh, at the introduction, uh, paragraph 7, you know, he mentions how uh, both Benedict and he wrote on this. You know, uh, Benedict himself had almost completed a first draft of an on faith for this reason. I'm deeply grateful to him and his brother in Christ. I've taken up his fine work and had a few contributions of my own. Uh, and then he says, the successor of Peter, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, is always called to strengthen his brothers and sisters and the priceless treasure of what faith of that faith which God has given us given as a light for humanity's path and there's a reference there that it's it, interestingly it's not even um, um, cited or referred to but uh, I, I think immediately of of Luke chapter 22 where Jesus at the Last Supper tells people Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, that he will betray Jesus, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Uh, and that's always seen Peter and his successors, all of the bishops of Rome, um, have this particular responsibility. It's part of their their unique mission within the church to strengthen the faith of all the brethren, of, of all the disciples of our Lord. Right. Yeah, that, that that larger mission in that regard. And and again, as you mentioned, as you read, Francis says the successor of Peter yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Again, doesn't really matter which one, the particular man. It's not about a cult of personality. Right. It's about uh, what this uh, 
what the Pope, whoever he is, says. So. So let's talk about the teaching of our Holy Father then. So yeah. So what what, what is he saying there? So first of all, you know, you mentioned. Um, I think it, it, you know, what is an encyclical? It's addressed as you as you noted to. Be, Bishops, priests, and deacons, consecrated persons, and the lay faithful. Of course, saving the best for last, right, Father? I, yeah. Yes, probably. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is a letter that's addressed to not just to bishops, priests, theologians. It's addressed, addressed to all the members of the church. And, and you and I will talk in, in a bit about how um, it's even true of... Uh, I think it's addressed maybe to the entire world, but it's addressed to everyone within the church. So can anybody read this, Father? Yes. Well, maybe the first question, what you really need to ask is, should anybody read this? Should everybody read this? And and then are they able to, is what I was trying to get yeah, at. I think, uh, uh, yes, everyone should, and yes, they can. I, I think it's not a... It's not too technical of a document, kind of like uh, Deus Caritas Est was, or pardon me, um, yeah, Deus Caritas Est was quite a friendly document in that way, an approachable document. Okay, a Barney document in that way. A what? Barney document, friendly, never mind, okay. I have little kids, wow. I have young children. You Barney the Purple Dinosaur? I have young children, Father, come I on. you said there's going to be no banter. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be in keeping with our podcast, Father, this show, if, if we had no banter whatsoever. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So I think it is a accessible okay. uh, uh, church document, one that anyone could read. So why should somebody read it? Okay, I can. Why should I? So just some context uh, to the listener, well, or not context, it, but... Well, thankfully, uh, he uh, sets the context, uh, uh, the Pope sets the context right from the from the sounding gun, if you will, right from the beginning uh, of the letter. So he talks about uh, the very first paragraph, uh, the light of faith. Uh, this is how the church's tradition speaks of the great gift brought by Jesus. So this illumination, this revelation is a light of faith something from by which to see and uh, Mark's uh, in the second paragraph you know in speaking of the light of faith we can almost hear the objections of many our contemporaries in modernity that light might have been considered sufficient for societies of old but was felt to be of no use for new times for humanity come of age proud of its rationality and anxious to explore the future in novel ways and so we, we hear that, how faith is something private, faith is something personal, faith is something reserved for a few individuals, but not something that can actually help everyone. Right. And even even more than that, you know, especially I think with the new atheists, a fad, which I think seems to be fading, uh, but, but we, you know, it's... Uh, False, erroneous. It, it leads us backwards. So you know, the, the next sentence that Francis uh, writes after where you quoted, faith thus appeared to some as an illusory light, preventing mankind from boldly setting out in, in quest for, of knowledge. And it goes on to reference uh, the the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, um, and, and this section is this section is uh, titled "An Illusory Light?" Question uh, mark. So addressing that question is 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 the light of faith? Uh, does it lead us backwards into the medieval dark ages, Father? So what is an illusory light? A false light. An illusion. Yes. Yes. Just good. Just good. <laughs> identify what that is so is faith an illusory light that's that's so you, the con, you, our context was you were showing what francis says about why anybody should read this right 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 
right, which is exactly right in the, the, this this point of path, and and because I think in a certain sense we feel we've been infected by that kind of modern spirit of faith being something personal or individual, faith being something of uh, divisive and kind of new atheist words, faith being something damaging, and so we need to speak about it and to encourage and be encouraged ourselves to be able to proclaim the uh, the light that faith gives to all men and women of the world. Absolutely. So to show how faith is, in fact, a good thing. Uh, and of course, this is not the first, it, 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 I, this has been addressed before. I, I, I don't think I said it when we were, since we, we started um, recording, uh, but we talked about it uh, off the air. You know, it, it, somebody who's familiar with church teaching, who's read church teaching, um, you know, there's, in, in a sense, there's not a lot new here, um, but that, that's not really the point. It's to pr- present what the church teaches about faith, its importance, its value, its truth uh, to all of us within the church and even to the world. So even though, you know, somebody who's you know, read the catechism, you know, three times cover to cover or something and, and read all the encyclicals from, from the prior popes, they're going to read this and, okay, well, there's nothing new here. Well, maybe not, but that's not really the point, is it? Right. Well, but sometimes there needs to be a new expression of it. And sometimes, you know, you can, maybe you've heard it as well, but you've kind of grown cold to it, and maybe uh, that need to be refreshed in it, just as uh, a husband and wife might refresh themselves in the goodness of their marriage and their marital intimacy, even though there might not be anything new there. Absolutely. That, that's a great analogy. And, and the other thing, you know, so in another encyclical along these lines that I think of is from Blessed John Paul II, Faith and Reason, where he addresses in particular the relationship between faith and, and human reason reason, the ability of the human mind to know reality, etc. So somebody, well, we just had an encyclical about 15 years ago on faith. Why do we need another one? Because of the new circumstances. An encyclical letter is not just sort of out um, in a vacuum. It's it's addressing issues of our day, of our time, of our age, as as we said earlier. And a new audience. Exactly. I mean, you know, the... (laughs) Obviously, you know, things are in many ways the same as they were 15, 20 years ago, but there's a lot different that that has changed in that time. The, um, uh, I think even too, kind of that, well, you know, nothing, people would say nothing's to change or things are the same. Kind of think of the spirit of the world of of Koheleth, right? Right. Ecclesiastes, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) But. But, but that's wrong. That's, a, that's, that's not the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of, of authentic joy in, in this world and in this faith. And so we don't mind to be to learn again, to hear again, to be renewed in what we already know. So even if you are somebody well-versed in church teaching, this is the, for, for that audience, this is a document well worth a read. For those who aren't uh, as well-versed, who haven't read the catechism extensively or other encyclicals extensively, uh, I, I would, again, I think this is reiterating what we've, we're already saying, but I, there, there's great value in reading these texts for that audience as well, right? Right. Uh, just sort of a, a great synthesis of what the church teaches about the nature of faith, how faith is a light that helps us to see reality as it truly is, um, and, and, a, and a great synthesis in the context, as we were just saying again, of, of the, the issues of our age, about the, the, the questions or even challenges that people have about the whole idea of, of faith to begin with. Right. So are there some specific things you want to maybe 
uh, touch on in, in, in general going forward that might be helpful for people to understand or just some highlights that might whet their appetite? Yeah, and you know, I, for, for, that, for, uh, for those, that purpose, I, I actually want to skip to the end. Uh, this is not like a novel. You know, you're not gonna, I'm not giving away any, you know, the, 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 the fun twist at the end of the movie or something. So there are no spoilers here. Oh. Um, are there? I don't think. Right, Father? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So the the there the the encyclical. By the way, if you printed this out um, on regular eight and a half by eleven paper, it'd come out to about I think twenty eight or twenty nine pages uh, with the footnotes. So it's you know it's 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 not like a two page thing, but it's not a book, a huge book either. So lengthwise, it it, it probably it took me. I think about an hour and a half, two hours to read. So, you know, if you gave yourself some time, maybe read over a week or so, uh, a little bit at a time, uh, you'd be able to 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 make your way through it. Let's uh, into chapters. You can read a couple chapters at a time. Exactly. And and so there are, there's the introduction, there are four chapters, and then there's a, a brief conclusion. Uh, and, and mentioned, we'll skip to the end. The fourth chapter is the one that, that struck me. The, the title of the fourth chapter, uh, chapter four, is "God prepares a city for them," and that's a reference to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter eleven, verse sixteen. Um, so there are within this chapter, um, let me see, one, two, three subheadings, uh, four subheadings rather. I'm sorry. So just what they are. The the first. Uh, uh, topic of this chapter four is faith and the common good, which we touched on a little bit in the last episode with the, the whole discussion of freedom uh, and how that relates to the common good. The second subheading in chapter four, faith in the family. Uh, third, a light for for life in society, a light for life in society. And then finally, consolation and strength amid suffering. So what chapter four does is, is look at, uh, in, in, a, in a particular way to me, uh, it looks at the relevance of faith for our life, particularly for our life together, our common life with others, whether it be in the family, whether it be within a society, uh, a larger society, um, whether it be with those who are suffering, li- living with suffering ourselves, or our fraternity with those others who are suffering. And what I like, Father, about chapter four is this shows, and you, you could, again, it'd be much simpler and more profound for, for the listener for you just to read it yourself. I'm not going to go through and, and, uh, and, and read the entire chapter or something, but just pointing out that this chapter to me shows the relevance of faith for our daily lives. And, and that, to me, that's, that's one of the central points that needs to be emphasized today, Father, that, that our faith, as you were saying earlier, it's not just some private thing. Um, our faith is not just something for Sunday morning um, or, or even for just if we have a daily prayer. It's not just for that time. Our faith is meant to pervade every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our existence, every aspect of our being, of who we are, of what we do. And and, and chapter four, Pope Francis shows a little bit in, in, in some particular ways how that's the case, how faith has implications. When we live it out, it changes not just me, but those around me. And if we live out our faith as disciples of Christ, as members of the church, it will impact the societies in, w- the societies in which we live. Very much so, and uh, and it actually brings it brings in a fr- it brings a freedom both as far as in a personal sense and intellectual freedom as well. 
Right. So you know, yeah, again, that, that theme that we discussed last episode of, of, of how it, it sets us free. Jesus says in John's gospel, the truth will set you free. Uh, earlier in Lumen Fide, Pope Francis talks about the relationship between truth and faith. And we receive truth. We recognize truth. We're able to see profound truths, truths that we wouldn't have known with just our human reason because of our faith. Uh, he uses an image that, that John Paul II used in his encyclical on faith, the image of a dove soaring up on two wings, the wings of faith, the wings of, of reason as well. So faith and reason going together, working together, um, helps us to know truth, the truth that ultimately sets us free. Well, to understand that if we, if, if we cut that off, we're cutting off part of the, the essence of our humanity in that way, and so we'll never reach that full potential, that full use, that full meaning of our intellect even without that. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. You know, um, and uh, uh, I was watching some uh, Father Robert Barron, his excellent commentaries, makes a commentary on the encyclical. One of the things he points out this way is, is faith as being right reason in regard to God. You know, uh, especially as maybe an answer, and he's, he's quoting uh, from Cardinal Newman there, who certainly, much, certainly had to respond in defense of faith against atheists and secularists in his own day. But, uh, but faith as being supremely reasonable, as a reasonable response to a creator God, to someone who is outside of this, of this realm. If we limit ourselves only to knowledge of things that are verifiable within this realm, then we're, 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 we're losing that half. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're limiting ourselves. We're, we're refusing to consider all aspects of reality, all aspects, all aspects of our own existence. The, uh, the uh, one particular point that I, I do want to uh, refer to, Father, from Chapter Four, um, is is in the section on uh, faith as a life, a light for life in society. Uh, this is a, this is in um, Article Fifty Four. Like every other encyclical, um, at least in the last few pontificates, um, Francis divides his his. Uh, the, the letter into articles. Uh, so in article 54, he says this, how many benefits has the gaze of Christian faith brought to the city of men for their common life? Thanks to faith, we have come to understand the unique dignity of each person, something which was not clearly seen in antiquity. In the second century, the, the pagan Celsus reproached Christians for an idea that he considered foolishness and delusion, namely that God created the world for man, setting human beings at the pinnacle of the entire cosmos. Um, there's a couple references there then to, to quotes from Celsus, the, this pagan philosopher. And then Francis continues, at the heart of biblical faith is God's love, his concrete concern for every person and his plan of salvation, which embraces all of humanity and all creation, culminating in, culminating in the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without insight into these realities, there is no criterion for discerning what makes human life precious and unique. And I think, Father, that's that's one of the things that in, in terms of the relevance of our faith for our daily life, you know, modern secular society, uh, I think we've talked about this before, uh, numerous commentators have observed that in many ways, we're unknowingly living off the capital of, of the, the Christian society that predates our own society today. The ideas, the ways of life that, that, that Christendom generated, um, we... Uh, un, uh, 
we're not aware of, of the ways in which we continue to draw, draw upon them. One of those particular ways is the whole idea of the dignity of the human person. As Francis says there in Article 54, that's something that was not clearly seen in, in the ancient world. You know, we think of the great philosophers like Plato and Aristotle in ancient Greece, uh, who, who in many ways developed brilliant ethical systems. And yet for them, there were still certain human beings which were uh, less valuable than others. Right. We, we, we kind of, we, we take that for granted so much. And it's, 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 again, part that, you know, just like the marriage analogy, you can take these things for granted and, and, and forget about the way things were before. Exactly. And, and we don't, <laughs> we really don't want to go back to the way things were before. But if we forget where, where we come from, so to speak, then that's, that's precisely what we're in danger of doing. Father, what about you? Anything in uh, Lumen Fide that you think uh, that you want to point out that you, really struck you? Well, I, I'd like to go to the beginning, actually, then, um, just in uh, his, his use in his conversation about salvation history, I think is very beautiful. We have believed in love, chapter one. It kind of goes through a little uh, you know, salvation history, the unfailing, the unveiling of God's relationship with mankind throughout uh, the scriptures, throughout the old and, and New Testament, and how it was prepared for in the Old Testament in Abraham. It focuses on the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and then coming to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, which I thought was a beautiful um, little display on that. But also, uh, I think he gives some great, uh, and there's lots of great things he mined from that. Um, and you know me that I love the Bi- that I love the scriptures in the Bible, right? Uh, I, I think yes, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, okay, just, just checking, just checking. Uh, but I, I love, in, in some ways, his little his little treatment on idolatry. Um, something that just kind of caught my eye. I've seen some other commentators talk about it since then. Um, but uh, how faith, you know, corrects man from this kind of basic level of polytheism, which doesn't bring freedom. Um, you know, and because and, in faith, in God's revelation himself, we, we, we're always brought in contact with the true God, and the true God is always correcting us and correcting our sight and correcting where we're looking, where we're going. Um, so it's like about halfway through uh, uh, maybe it's actually about a third of the way through of paragraph 13 in place of faith in God it seems better to worship, worship an idol to whose face we can look directly and whose origin we know because it is the work of our own hands before an idol there is no risk that we will be called to abandon our security for idols have mouths but they cannot speak um Idols exist, we begin to see, as a pretext for setting ourselves at the center of reality and worshiping the work of our own hands. And just a beautiful little unfolding of that reality of idolatry, because you can even see that in interpersonal relationships as well. Right. That in my interpersonal relationships, I can set up this false idol of who my friend is, who my parish is, who my spouse is. And... uh, but at the end of the day, it's really just about self-service and, and creating a reality of, of a self-serving uh, uh, just to, to make myself feel better. And we get that in, you know, this notion of a therapeutic religion, yep. you know, which is kind of, I think, uh, some people accuse Americans of being in just kind of a therapeutic self-religion. Well, I'm just kind of creating a religion that meets my own needs and suits my own appetites and suits my own desires. Whereas in Revelation and the risk of revelation, re- revelation and the risk of faith keeps us grounded in that God uh, who, who doesn't change. 
Absolutely. And again, you know, so Father, we're, we pretty much run out of time. I, I think you and I agree that uh, people should read this. They're a, you're able to read that. So I, again, I'd encourage everybody to, to get a copy of this. You can read it online, print it off online. And as always, email me with any questions you have about this episode or future episodes, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.